Welcome to the World Beyond the Tale, the Page a Day American Gods podcast. I'm your host, James, and today we're reading page 212. The girl blushed once more and told them that dessert was apple pie, apple pie a la mode, that's with a scoop of vanilla ice cream, Christmas cake, Christmas cake a la mode, or a red and green whipped pudding. Wednesday stared into her eyes and told her that he would try the Christmas cake a la mode. Shadow passed. Now, as Griff's go, said Wednesday, the fiddle game goes back 300 years or more, and if you pick your chicken correctly, you could still play it tomorrow anywhere in America. I thought you said that your favorite grift was no longer practical, said Shadow. I did indeed. However, that is not my favorite. It was fine and enjoyable, but not my favorite. No, my favorite is one they called the Bishop Game. It had everything. Excitement, subterfuge, portability, surprise. Perhaps, I think, from time to time, perhaps with a little modification it might... He thought for a moment, then shook his head. No, its time has passed. It is, let us say, 1920 in a city of medium to large size. Chicago, perhaps, or New York, or Philadelphia. We're in a jeweler's emporium. A man dressed as a clergyman, and not just any clergyman, but a bishop in his purple, enters and picks out a necklace, a gorgeous and glorious confection of diamonds and pearls, and pays for it with a dozen of the crispest hundred-dollar bills. There's a smudge of green ink on the topmost bill, and the store owner apologetically but firmly sends the stack of bills to the bank on the corner to be checked. Soon enough, the store clerk returns with the bills. The bank says that they are none of them counterfeit. The owner apologizes again, and the bishop is most gracious. He well understands the problem. There are such lawless and ungodly types in the world today, such immorality and lewdness abroad in the world, and shameless women, and now that the underworld has crawled out of the gutter and come to live on the screens of the picture palaces, what more could anyone expect? And the necklace is placed in its case, and the store owner does his best not to ponder why a bishop of the church would be purchasing a $1,200 diamond necklace, nor why he would be paying good cash money for it. The bishop bids him a hearty farewell and walks out on the street, only for a heavy hand to descend on his shoulder. Why, Soapy is... And that's our page. Wednesday continues on in super creep mode here. I think it's worth noting that Shadow passes on dessert, but we don't get additional details about his frame of mind. Has he lost his appetite due to Wednesday's antics, or is he simply not a dessert person? Maybe if Laura was with him, he would have shared a dessert with her, though perhaps not Revenant Laura. The Wednesday gets worse on the next page and the one beyond that, so hold your breath. He then goes on to detail his favorite grift, the Bishop Game. Wednesday reacts briefly, reflects briefly, to try to figure out any way that the grift could possibly work in the modern world, but ultimately decides that his time has passed, which is odd because he's all about the old gods whose time has certainly passed, and he hasn't given up on them yet. There's a subtle irony here that will be missed by first-time readers when we discuss this grift here. (laughs) Rubes. The language Wednesday descends into again is archaic and dated as he travels back to the 1920s in Chicago and recalls the golden days of the flim-flam. I know we discussed bishops previously when Shadow was fucking the cat, But I don't know if I dug into the color scheme, probably because I forgot they wore purple, because I've been free of the church for a good two decades now. Anyhow, the color is supposed to reflect sorrow and suffering, though another site stated that it could be because it was supposed to remind bishops in ancient times not to drink, as the literal translation of the Greek word for amethyst is not drunken. So, I'm just learning all kinds of things this week. Amethos is not drunken, the natal cleft is the area from the tailbone to the taint, Don't say I never taught you anything. I'm also realizing that in Wednesday's tellings of these stories, he takes on a very omniscient narrator sort of position, similar to that of Mr. Ibis when we get his versions of the Coming to America stories. 
though Ibis seems to maintain enough of a distance that he doesn't get full omniscience, at least not in the case of Salim or Essie's tales. One of these omniscient details Wednesday gets is that the jeweler doesn't wonder too deeply after why a bishop will be buying a ridiculously expensive necklace, though perhaps that's the part that wouldn't fly in a modern world. After all those sex scandals, people just don't trust bishops anymore. I also think it's humorous to have Wednesday's bishop blame movies for the slow slide into sin. It's an old argument to be sure, but it also feels like a very subtle dig at media and the new gods, though I guess it doesn't have to go that deep really. Anyhow, our bishop is clapped on the shoulder as he leaves, and a dialect-heavy voice takes us to the end of the page. Well, at least it's supposed to be dialect-heavy. I can't do accents. Who is it? Come back tomorrow and meet the Irish stereotype Sweeney was lamenting half a book away. Get in touch with the show at theworldbeyondthetale at gmail.com or on Twitter at worldbeyondpod. Thank you to Julian Granganage for the use of his version of St. James Infirmary Blues as the show's theme, and thank you for listening. I'll be back tomorrow with another page, and remember, only the gods are real.